Well, hello everyone, and welcome to our latest episode of Opening Up Chaplaincy. So I'm Stig Graham, a retired hospice and palliative care chaplain and Anglican priest, and I'm joined by my delightful colleague. Hi there, good morning or good afternoon. My name's Joe Mutlow, and I'm a pastoral carer from a humanist persuasion at Bradford Teaching Hospitals. Um, and Stig and I are always in danger in our pre-chat of doing the, the podcast before we press the record button. So we've just stopped ourselves because we not, haven't got a guest in this episode. Uh, we're just going to have a conversation between ourselves, which you try and do every few episodes or so. And I've come up with a topic uh, for today's reflections, um, which is about whether we're being unwittingly unfair in our referral systems when we're looking at people that we talk to. And what I'm getting at there is um, how people, how we get to see patients, um, who refers them, and also not just referrals, but who decides follow-on visit. So just to kick that off, have you got any questions about that, Steve? Because I know you've worked in a much more, you call it ubiquitous setting. <laughs> yeah. Hospitals. yeah. Yeah, well... <laughs> We, in one sense, were um, quite a large hospice. We had three sites. Um, we had two inpatient wards, three day hospices. We also had uh, people out in the community. Uh, but I had a very large number of volunteers, which reflected quite a range of uh, what it is to be human. Um, not so much in terms of ethnicity. That was always a disappointment. but we had enough volunteers that we could guarantee that uh, every day in the day hospices and in the inpatient units, there would be at least one volunteer going in for a couple of hours and available to chat to, to anyone. And they would just wander around the rooms and just see if anybody wanted to chat. We, you know, there was a lot of training to make sure that they didn't force their way in or overstay their welcome. Um, and we, we never ever, uh, I'm pleased to say, had any complaints about that. But the point was that because of that diversity, I felt the strength was that patients could choose when and who to talk to. And we also had access to patient notes so that people could record those sessions. And that meant we could leave a note saying, oh, you know, this patient, uh, really uh, doesn't want to have very much interaction or yeah anybody can drop in on this patient anytime they're always up for for a chat so we often used to start off with the pastoral stuff and we were able to unearth uh, sometimes things that needed further development not necessarily just by ourselves but people would share things that then the rest of the clinical team could could use. But that was, a, as I say, a very, we were described as being ubiquitous around the, the, the hospice, but it still was very much patient-led. I don't think that really would work so readily. I mean, I had, you know, times between 20 and 30 volunteers um, yeah, so, as well as the professional altogether team. together in acute hospital and I, yeah a different setup and um so for example at Bradford we've got I think about 900 beds a day 
and that's over five sites and the main hospital or where the team is based has probably has about 40 different wards or departments maybe mm. 50 so the scale is very different it's very segmented mm. Mm. and uh, to cover that you might have in one day maybe seven people to cover mm. that mixture of volunteers and paid staff to cover that that volume so so the challenge is really how you spread yourselves in a fair way between all those different needs and people mm. and make the best use of um, who you are and what you have available on that day. So I'm a great advocate of the walking around, catching people's eye, mm. talking to people. Um, so one way to do that is to allocate wards and then people do a ward visit and, you know, uh, speak to whoever pops up on that ward visit as being awake and wanting to talk. Um, but I know there are other acute hospitals and other places around the country who operate pretty much on a um, referral basis. Mm -hmm. So your volunteers are perhaps sent out to scout mm. for people who might need a visit from um, a member of the team and then filter those people back through. And um, within teams, you also filter across. So if you're seeing someone and having a conversation with them and you've conversation, realize that they are practicing Roman Catholic, then you might refer that to your Roman Catholic colleague. Mm. But I think there's a lot of bias in that. Yes, there is. There because... is. And we've had that discussion several times where just because you're a Roman Catholic doesn't necessarily mean you want to see the Roman Catholic priest. Uh, it could be that there's history there. Uh, it could be that you want to talk about things that aren't relative uh, to that yeah. sort of situation. Yeah. Um, but and... if you categorize a referral yeah. as being for the Roman, this is a Roman Catholic person, therefore they want the Roman yeah. Catholic to Roman. visit them you're already determining what that conversation should be about. Exactly, exactly. And one and... of the most irritating things I used to get in the, the early days when, when I started off and before I explained things more and you know we were able to educate the staff more, was I would get people coming up and saying, oh, Stig, this is one for you. They've got a really battered, well-read Bible on their bedside table. And I used to think, hmm, if they're that into their faith, then actually it could be that they are a middle-of-the-road Anglican as well, but equally there could be someone of a very specific, tight uh, community uh, and, and religious perspective. And the last thing they will want is someone like me as, you know, this sort of woolly liberal. Um, so it's and, about the assumptions people can yeah. make in those referrals yeah, yeah. So you have referrals through staff and that is dependent on them understanding the range of what we can offer and the fact we're inclusive yeah, yeah. so if you have members of staff who are only looking for a religious faith to be part of the referral or end of life to be part mm. of the referral then that is skewing things yeah. if you have members of staff who are strong christians themselves mm. and looking to in their eyes look after their patients they may make a referral on the christian's behalf because mm. of their own convictions mm. that's another thing that i have mm. seen happen um, which is very well intentioned 
But if we've got these people as gatekeepers, how are other people getting through? Yep, absolutely. And the main people who are not getting through are the non-religious mm -hmm. because they don't fit the category yeah. of what a referral's about. Yeah, yeah. Or there might be a, a, a an ignorance even that about what you say to someone who's not religious on a spiritual plane or about yeah. their their existential it, needs well and it, it starts that process uh, you know as part of the clocking in as, as we used to call it you know because you, they they would go down the checklist and it would you know religion and spirituality or maybe it's even just religion and People would often just say, it's less so these days, of course, but they would still, you still get people saying Church of England because that's what they've been taught. Um, but they're, they're not uh, really, you're certainly not practicing, but it, it's all defined about religion. And I, I do know many hospitals do try, it's not just the hospices who do try to sort of, what are the things that make your life worth living? What gives meaning to your life? And um, But again, that's not straightforward because people aren't used um to answering that kind of a question oh, by and the and person large. asking the question might not even understand the answer or have the answer <laughs> or the question yeah. some case. and then and the other danger in that clocking in as you say is if you put yourself down as Sikh for example yeah. then the chaplaincy department draws down their Sikh list sends mm. their Sikh volunteer to go and see the people on that list. Mm. Now, all we know is that they've been categorised as Sikh mm. on check-in. We don't know if they're practising. We don't know if they want to see a Sikh visitor. And and I think there's another assumption there as mm. well. So those people almost get preferential treatment mm. because they take the list is taken down and used. Mm-hmm. So there's, I'm just pointing out inequalities that we need to be yep. really careful with and assumptions if we are going to deliver a fair service that's inclusive mm. to everybody. And my view is the only way really to do that is by this drop by, mm. catch someone's eye, have a conversation. Yep. Yeah. The other thing that can happen, you know, where, where I've worked previously is when I arrived, I was given a patient list to go and visit as a humanist everyone on that list was a christian mm -hmm. so that place they ran basically the the, the referral list was a christian list mm -hmm. and so uh it was used so if people were re had, were down as having had a visit from the chaplaincy then they would have a follow-up visit next time they came in they would also have a visit you'd go back and say oh you're in again Mm -hmm. So there was this group of people who became the flock, if you like, mm -hmm. who got the visits, who got the attention, who had records of their visits made. But how do other people get on that list? Mm -hmm. That's right. And that and it... perpetuates in that particular place a Christian bias mm -hmm. as to who got access to the service. Yeah. Yeah. I would actually sort of still like to widen that up and just say it's that religious bias, that religious perspective, that if you say something specifically, then that kicks others, you know, those reactions in. But in actual fact, it completely misses all the pastoral and 
spiritual kind of support that is available on offer. And to be honest, I actually, you know, this is the thing about dropping in, having a chat. Very often it's about the starting with that kind of pastoral concern. You know, and it may just be with family and relatives as well. Just would you like a cup of tea? Uh, just that little bit of kindness showing, that little bit of recognition that actually can trigger conversations and then lead on to those wider things. And then <laughs> if religion comes in, you can explore whether a religious representative is uh, appropriate um, for 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 them. In which case, you can do something. And the other thing is, as, as we've touched on, is if people want a religious representative, it doesn't just follow that Sikh or Christian or Hindu or whatever Muslim is um, an appropriate uh, has en enough detail in there actually, because mm. you can get such a variation. You know, mm. I've, I've certainly encountered Christians uh, with churches which I wouldn't be invited to, <laughs> you know, because I'm, I'm not seen as sufficiently, um, what's the word? Um, on, yeah. on point. On target, on point, yeah, or yeah. whatever, yeah. Yeah, and then the other, the other question that comes from that as well, so is the follow-up visits. Mm, mm. so you can get a model where people have there's perhaps there's been a referral or you've met someone and that then flows into a follow-up visit now in a hospice that's obviously very different you're seeing mm. people on a daily basis there's a often a, a process people are going through there because there's some some inevitabilities in a hospice mm, mm. I think it, sometimes that's true in, in acute care but there's also a lot of uncertainty and a lot of precariousness and a lot of adjustment that goes on in in acute care um, it's it's receiving the news it's processing the news and it's recovery and healing or you know recurrence or whatever's going on there's a lot of shock there's a lot of disbelief going on um, and disorientation so those are moments that people have in acute care where we can offer some support and some presence, I think. Mm. Um, and that has to be on the hoof. Mm -hmm. So if you're seeing someone and then you you develop a nice relationship with someone and you carry on going to see them and then you send the volunteer to see them and then over a matter of some people are long stay, you know, they stay two months in, in hospital. I see the plus side of that in that we have, they have form a relationship with us, which um, helps them through that period. Mm -hmm. But what about everybody else? Yeah. What about the people who are having the crisis in A&E or the people who are um, frightened in um, elderly care? How do we spread ourselves fairly in that situation yeah, yeah. and who checks that and I don't know how far we critically look at what we're doing as individuals so there's certain people I fall into a comfortable more comfortable conversation than others but there's a danger if I only see the people I have comfortable conversations with yeah. I miss all those other people is anyone else seeing them how do you manage that as a team? 
And of course, that, that thing of comfort as well um, can be a little bit of a misnomer, a bit of a misdescription as well, because um, the other thing in, in our kind of setting is that we are often tested by the people we meet, or certainly I, I was in the hospice, whereby people would be quite aggressive, come out with quite confrontational statements. Uh, I had one guy in particular, I remember very well, who used to tell the most vulgar joke every time he saw me, there would be a, a new joke that he was, you know, uh, <laughs> I, of course I was, I was being tested. And then in his case, uh, I remember just being told, you sit here now, you know, whoa, what's, what's going on here? And then he started to talk about family situations and stuff like that, like that. So, um, and, um, but that's an example, Stig, of, of sticking with someone yes. and building a relationship. So I'm not yeah. saying we shouldn't be doing that. No, 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 no. Just saying we need the difficulty to be of it. sure that we're being fair and not missing out on the people who aren't referred to us and mm. the people who are in and out yeah. in two days, because that's the average day in an acute hospital is two days. Yeah, yeah. So the reality is you'll probably only see people once, most yeah. people. So you have to make that once count. Mm. Um, we, we, we've developed this phrase, you know, was it enough? Mm. And mm. if it wasn't enough, then we refer people on within the team or to a volunteer or for someone else to go and see them. But that we don't all interpret that in the same way. Again, we come back to the old thing with the NHS, of course, about, in all honesty, about resources. Um, again, the hospice has the advantage. We would put a, an advert in the paper, probably most years, once a year. And I, I would get anything like uh, a dozen applicants. And in that advert, I, we would stress that we wanted diversity. We didn't need a particular religious perspective. We just wanted people who could reflect what it is to be human. And, um, you know, so we we were able, and as I say, we, we had um, uh, probably a maximum of just over 30 patients uh, whose normal stay would be about, on average, 10 days one week to two weeks um they weren't all dying they were you know a lot of them were then moving on and we'd get them back in a little bit uh, further time and then we also had day hospice as well where you would see people over several months and they would come in one day a week for uh, several weeks or months uh, and you had time to to build those relationships but also that sense of always being there so you could be called upon quite quite easily uh so by i think them. visibility is quite an important thing yeah, yeah. um and yes. and um you know in a big hospital that walking around mm. with your with your logo on your back so people know what team you're from seeing you when you call in you might not get referrals on that day but you might get referrals another time. People say, oh, there was that woman here. Yeah, she could come and do this mm. or have that conversation. Yeah. So visual prompt of us being there, I think, yeah. is... And, is and that also important. means you build good relationships with mm. the staff as well because mm. 
uh, I, I found, you know, there were there were staff who were quite, when I first started, who were quite anxious that I was there somehow to espouse Christian values and proselytize and, you know, mm. try and convert people. And um, I, I think very quickly they realized that wasn't the case and that some nurses could actually be really protective to the point of being overprotective. But once you gain their trust, actually they would look to you. And I we used to find that was the same with our volunteers. If I, usually over a period of a year, because they, they saw them there, that actually nurses, if they were being pushed for time or whatever, would actually turn to someone and say, can you look after this person? Or yeah. give a direct referral. This person yeah. has mentioned this need. Would you go and find yeah. out a bit more? So connecting up the need with the chaplaincy service and then mm. and, and then connecting people I and mean, what I say when I go on the wards is is there anyone sad lonely or worried yeah and I love that, that yeah that, I love that. usually that makes staff think through their list you can see them going through their list saying oh yeah you could see Betty in bay three you know or you could see and that gets to it a different way if you just say I'm from the spark team or from chaplaincy I'll just go and go and visit. Yeah, that's just a label. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what does yeah. that mean? Yeah, yeah people yeah. are so busy on the wards and so understaffed. It's you know we've we've got to go there and not be any pressure, but to relieve pressure where we can, whether yes. it's pressure with patients or pressure with with staff. But another way that I find when I when I was given the list of Christians in a previous place to go and visit, and there was no recognition about the. Mm the dissonance there so here's your list of christians go and see them i had lovely conversations with people but then i'd move on and see everybody else in the bay mm -hmm. so then you know i'd use that as my way in on that ward. they want me to see this patient but then i'd go and see everybody yeah. else and i think that's good practice if you have a referral especially if it's in a bay you know mm -hmm. there's three other people in that bay who are watching someone get a special conversation mm -hmm. that they're not getting yeah yeah and as a matter of courtesy, you should at least offer your attention to those three people. Yeah, offer at least a greeting and just see what kind yeah. of response you get. And just, yeah. you know, it's amazing sometimes how the, you know, inevitably people listen in on conversations. They're not just listening to what the patient says. They're listening to what you say and how you react to the patient. And they're testing a little bit like your guy with his bad jokes. They're listening and saying, oh, do I trust this person? Could I have a exactly. conversation with this yeah. person? And if they then wave you over, you know that's an informed choice that they're making. But I think that's one way, again, to counter this skew or bias, yeah. which we may have in our visiting, Yeah. to turn that back to then offer the service to other people when you're on a board. And I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of chaplains do that. I just yes. feel we need to keep asking ourselves the question. Mm, are mm. we being equal are we being fair? fair is there bias in the people we go to see our referrals our follow-on visits are we developing little caseloads which are exclude people and what can we do about that mm. there is the challenge of course going back to the is it enough that we, when you're with someone you're still trying to provide enough 
and how then do you find the time to do the other stuff and I, I don't think there's any easy answer it is just part of the the burden the pressure the challenge of, of, of being a chaplain but you're 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 so right um and it is actually I think there is a lot to be said for a community kind of setting, i.e. multiple beds in a ward rather than single rooms. Um, because people then have to make the decision when you stick your head round the door, hmm, do I want to talk to this person? So you, you there's, we, I don't know if we've ever done a session about how do we introduce ourselves. Mm -hmm. I can't remember now, but there is that hump to get over. Whereas mm -hmm. if you're going in and you're having at least one conversation with someone, the other people in the in the room are watching mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. and they will give you an indication. Mm -hmm. You know, it's again, it's about reading the signs that they would like to 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 have a talk with there was one atheist um i remember um he, who really was adamant he didn't want anything to do with with chaplaincy but he actually did on, on after he'd been in about a week and he'd seen me with other people in the uh, in that bear um he he shouted me across you know and said yeah you know and he actually said i've seen you the way you talk to yeah. other people. Yeah. You know, so it was a very direct, if you well, like, you acknowledgement had, of that. You also had some good jokes for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't I don't know that I could ever bring myself to repeat some of them. They really were obscene. Some of them were very, very funny, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid you, uh, yeah, definitely not repeatable. All, all the language. So I think we've given that a bit of an airing now. Yeah, yeah. Don't you? Yeah. Do you think that's that sort of just posed the question? Is there unconscious bias or is there um oh, is inequality is. in what we're we're delivering in terms of referrals or are there ways that we could open up who we see by different ways of visiting and just having a bit of a think about it, a shared thought about it, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And um, and I suppose I would add a plea, you know, because they're doing away with um, day hospices and day units and things like that. Um, that does seem to be the trend. They're not seen as cost effective. But I do think I really passionately the social, psychological, emotional, spiritual benefits of coming together as a community. Uh, even if it is only for a while, are uh, just so, so powerful. But it's not quite so obvious a, a, a return uh, of the investment. But, mm -hmm. but there you go. We'll we'll sign off in our usual way. <laughs> Open up chap at gmail.com and uh, do let us know how things work for you in, in your particular hospitals, hospices or community groups. And, if you'd uh, like to pose a question like, you know, are we being equal and you have some ideas about that, we'd love you to come and be a guest with us and share some of your good practice or some of your questions that you'd like to pose mm -hmm. yes indeed oh and before we go we should just say that our next episode will be coming out in mid-september as the podcast is taking a summer break we do have some wonderful guests scheduled right through the autumn until christmas so we will hope you'll join us to meet them
But in the meantime, goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. We hope you've enjoyed the show. <laughs>